Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself of the goodness of God. Amen. You know, he doesn't need to do another thing for you. Sometimes we get so caught up in God, I need this and I need you to do that and I need freedom from this. And he's already made that available to us. If we would just remind ourselves of who we are and what we have and start walking out, start living out who we are, I can promise you that you would discover a freedom there. And um, if you will, go with me to Genesis chapter one. That's kind of what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about our identity tonight. Talk about our identity, amen? Identity is at the root of all the issues that we, we face in life. If we struggle with identity, we'll struggle with everything else. If we struggle with who we are, then we will struggle with what we're supposed to do, and we'll struggle with what we have, and we'll struggle with what we're not supposed to do, right? It's amazing the things that we chase when we don't know our identity. So identity is the root issue. Identity is where we start. And in Genesis chapter 1, Y'all know that's the first book of the entire Bible, right? So no better place to start. No better place to get, to, to, to get back to the beginning, right? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, you pass the test. Good for you. Good. Genesis 1, first book in the Bible. Verse 26 said, then God said, let us make human beings. Do I have any human beings in here? Yep, you qualify. Hey, Colleen, good to see you. Uh, let's make some human beings in our image, he says, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And right here in this passage, we kind of see a, a template that God wants us to follow, that God himself follows, but that he wants us to follow. Notice that instruction doesn't come before identity. Instruction follows identity. Instruction of what to do. First, uh, uh, we have to supplant who we are before we know what to do. So he's giving instruction, you will reign, you will rule, this is what you're going to carry out, this is what you're going to do. But before he defines what we do, he identifies who we are. So we have to understand this template. Because if we get it backwards, and I'm going to tell you right now, the world wants you to get it backwards. The world wants you to define who you are by what you do. They want you to first figure out what you're supposed to do, and then that's what we create our identity from. And so this is why we're on this chase, and this is why we're, we're, we're getting our identity from the wrong uh, areas in life, 
And honestly, you'll never achieve your real identity if you're trying to chase it, if you're trying to find it in the wrong things. And so God is creating a template. God is setting something uh, in motion here. This is a precedent-setting event. He says, before I tell you what to do, I'm gonna tell you who you are. Before I tell you what to do, let me tell you who you are. Notice that there is still a doing. There's still working. So we're not abandoning action. We're not, we're not abandoning responsibility. We're not negating the fact that we're supposed to be doing something. But what is the motivation for my doing? I was just having a conversation several weeks ago with an individual. And, uh, he, you know, he was just being transparent with me, just open and honest and just communicating. You know, man, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do certain things because I've been out of church for this amount of time and I've been doing these things. And so I think that there's just certain things that, you know, I shouldn't be involved in. There's certain things I shouldn't be doing. I have to do this, this, and this before I can do this, this, and this. And that is a trap of the enemy. That's a trap of the enemy. Self-righteousness is a trap of the enemy. Because now what you're telling me is the way that I'm going to get in right alignment with God is by performing rather than being. When God creates your identity, your identity is immovable. Your identity is unshakable. Now, do we always live in a way that reveals our identity? No. It's one thing to be righteous, and it's another thing to live righteous. Two different things. I can be righteous and practice unrighteousness. I can be righteous but practice lawlessness. Um, I can be an American citizen but speed on the highway. You hear what I'm saying? Okay? Doesn't change my identity, but now I'm not, I'm not exhibiting or walking out my identity. I'm living contradictory to my identity. So we first have to ground ourselves and find ourselves uh, uh, in a foundation, solid foundation of who we are in Christ, our identity. The first thing God gives Adam and Eve is not a job, is not a title, is not an assignment. He doesn't even give them instruction yet. He tells him who he is, who they are. You are made in the image of God. Now, because you're made in the image of God, what does he say? You're gonna rule. You're gonna fill the earth. You're gonna govern it. You're gonna reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, all the animals that scurry on the ground, be fruitful and multiply. All these instructions now come from their identity, not before it. If you are fruitful and multiply, and if you reign, then you're in my image. But if you don't, then you're not. No, in the image is grounded, founded, unchangeable, unshakable. Now it's up to Adam and Eve to carry out the function based on the image, based on the identity. Well, let's go over to Genesis chapter three. So identity is always the root issue. Identity is always the struggle. Identity is always, if we don't know who we are, as a righteous 
believer, as a child of God, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it. Think about what you can be gypped out of as an American citizen if you don't know your constitutional rights. If you don't know the freedoms and liberties that you have. Right? If you don't know, you, you can never live beyond the level of, revela- uh, revel of, level of revelation that you have acquired. It's impossible. I can't live beyond what I know. I've got to inform myself. Now, when you come into the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us all things are made new, right? Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. But that doesn't mean that you know all the new. That doesn't mean you're informed. So guess what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? He wants to introduce you to the real you. He wants to introduce you to the new you. He wants to let you know the rights and privileges and the benefits and, 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 and what you have available to you and who you are in Christ and, 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 and who your enemy is and you have authority over the enemy. Have you ever seen a believer walk beneath what God has called them to be? It's because they haven't quite come to the knowledge of who they are. So important that we tackle the identity issue. It's the root issue. Well, here in Genesis chapter three, starting with verse one, it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So what's he questioning? He's questioning the instruction that God gave. He's questioning, he's challenging God's word. I mean, in essence, up until this point, this is God's word to them. This is God's instruction. We know that the word of God is instruction to us. It's given for reproof. It's given for instruction. It's given for correction. It's given to strengthen us and edify us. It's given to build ourselves up. It's given for us to feed on the word of God. The Bible says, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is our life source. So what does the enemy want to do? Challenge your life source. If I don't live by the word, it doesn't work for me. If I don't honor God's word, it doesn't work for me, okay? So the first thing he does, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree? He's challenging the instruction. Of course we may eat, from the, the, uh, from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, we know God didn't give the instruction about touching it, right? So the accuracy of the word of God is so vital. Accuracy. The enemy wants to challenge the validity and the accuracy of the word of God. And if he can get you to come off just a little bit, we talked about this several weeks ago. Digression is not this hard 90, but it's a slowly fading. We talked about uh, in First in, in Timothy chapter 4, the Spirit expressly says that many will fall away from the faith. They're not going to take a hard 90 away. In fact, they're going to think they're honoring God when they're not. They're going to give themselves to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, right? We've already talked about these things, studied these things. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, serpent replied to the woman. Now watch what he does. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, 
and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And watch these next words. And you will be like God. What's interesting about that is they were already like God. See, unseen into the visible. Getting the unseen into the seen. Getting the invisible into the visible. Getting the spiritual into the representation of heaven. When he created the earth, it had the qualities. It was sinless. It was perfect, right? It was paradise. It was a representation of heaven. Why? Because God was trying to take an unseen spiritual realm and bring it into the seen natural realm. He's extending and increasing and advancing his kingdom. Right? It's impossible. In kings, you can't be a king without a kingdom, right? It's impossible to be a king if you don't have a domain or a territory to exercise your authority. That's impossible. A kingdom is a king's domain. God was king in heaven, but he desired to extend his rule from heaven to the earth, from the invisible to the visible, from the spiritual to the natural. Well, his next step, Man on the earth, over the earth, from heaven. It was to put man on the earth and have him rule over the natural earth. So God, a spiritual being, rules a spiritual heaven. But man, a natural being, rules a natural realm, earth. We already saw that. So Adam and Eve are an exact representation, a visible mirroring of heaven. And they were to rule on the earth just as God rules in heaven. That's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, said what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, be, be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you have to understand about prayer, just a little side note, prayer is not just you communicating with God. We are communicating with God, yes. Prayer is not, uh, you know, our little toll-free line to let God know about all our problems and challenges that we're facing here on earth. That's not, pra- that's not prayer. If you limit prayer to that, most of us only pray reactively, meaning something has to happen that spurs us to pray. But Jesus showed us a pattern of prayer that was proactive. Before the problem arose, he was already in conversation with his father. Prayer is how you get the will of the Father in heaven to show up in the earth. That's why we have prayer. And if you only use prayer as let me tell God about all my problems and challenges, or I haven't talked to God today, but you're not expecting for him to share his will and his purpose for the earth with you. You think, okay, I did my little checkbox. I did my little prayer closet thing. Let me go about my day and do what I want. See, the, the, the greatest exhibition in your life of prayer is that you are producing the will of God in your life. We haven't really known prayer until we come out of the closet and say, all right, I got work to do. I've got the will of God to enact in the earth. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done. It's, a, it's just interesting to me. Of all the, the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them and show them, they said, teach us how to pray. Not walk on water, not heal the sick, not cast out demons. They recognized that it was the prayer life of Jesus that brought the power to Jesus. So that's what prayer's for. Why? Because I'm bringing heaven to earth. Just like we've been talking about on Sundays, we are tearing down gates of hell. Anybody tearing down some gates of hell? Come on, we gotta tear down some gates of hell. There's a lot of them out there and they're becoming more and more visible and we are in the job. Our role is to tear down the gates of hell. Tear them down. But it takes a church that knows who they are in Christ. It takes a church that understands their identity and their authority. Notice, authority didn't come before identity. Identity comes, then authority shows up. Identity comes, your your authority will only operate to the extent of your identity. Your authority will only operate to the extent of your identity. If I don't know how I have authority over it, if I don't know who I am, if I don't know what belongs to me, then I can't execute the authority that's necessary. And it's tied to your identity. It's tied to your assignment. It's tied to who God called you to be. I can't go into your house and command things and do certain things. And you can't come into my house and do it. Why? It's not your domain. That's not my domain. But I have a home. I have a territory. I have a domain that I'm expected to execute authority over. As a parent, my children, I'm not leaving my children to the school or to the church or to the government to raise and handle my children. Why? That's my territory. That's my, so I have the identity as these are my children. They bear my name. They are my responsibility. Therefore, I execute authority. It's amazing how many times we see parents blaming systems that were designed to come alongside you to, to, to support you, but not to replace you. Okay, so the enemy says, you will be like God. So he has just tempted them with something they already have. This is why identity is so important. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll go chasing what you already have. They couldn't be any more like God than they were in Genesis 1.28. That was the most like God they would ever be. And let me tell you something. If you're born again, you're in the kingdom of God, you confess Jesus as your Lord, you can never be more saved, more owned, more loved by God than you are the, than you were the moment you came into the kingdom. You trying to be any more is your own striving like we talked about last week. The striving and the gaining and the adding and the, and the doing. And man, I tell you what, the enemy will keep you busy trying to be something you already are. (laughs) He will keep you busy with that. He'll give you righteous things to do. Yeah, he sure will. 
The enemy doesn't want you to just go out and blatantly sin and walk away from God. He wants you to think you're operating in righteous, righteousness when you're not. He wants you to keep trying to work and perform and become and do something you already are. That's how deceptive he is. Remember, it said he's the shrewdest of all the wild animals. The New King James says the most cunning beast in the garden, the most cunning, the trickiest. He's tempting them with something they already have, and you will be like God. So notice this. Satan is not tempting them with fruit. He's tempting them with identity. He's not tempting them with fruit. The fruit was just an image, just a picture of what would come. What did he say? You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. He says your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. He's tempting them with something that they, that they already have, their identity. This is why the, why is he attacking their identity? Because he knows it's the key to their authority. If I can get them to think there's something they're not, then I can take away from them something they have. If I can get them to think that they are something that they're not, then I can take away what they have. I can't execute my authority if I'm not in my right identity. Who am I? Who are we? You will be like God. Well, the woman was convinced, verse 6 says. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. You can target that that is not the identity from God if shame and guilt and condemnation show up. That's not God. He will never bring shame, guilt, and condemnation. If you are experiencing shame, guilt, and condemnation, then you don't know who you are. Shame, guilt, and condemnation are reserved for people who don't know who they are in Christ. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says what? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. That's your identity. That's your identity. So if you're experiencing shame, guilt, and condemnation, then you don't know who you are. Their identity, they just traded who they were for what they thought they were going to get in return. And by losing their identity, they gained shame and guilt and condemnation. Shame, guilt, and condemnation. And so what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is huge because now they're covering what God never designed to be covered. They felt such a shame and such a guilt. They, they, they now saw themselves as something worth hiding. God was trying to reveal them to the world. 
And now they have completely lost the value for who they are. And they're trying to cover what God is trying to reveal. They're trying to hide what God is trying to expose. This is huge. We, we compromise our mission when we don't know who we are. We compromise our mission. Now they've got it completely backward. Now they're working for themselves rather than for the earth. Notice that the work that they're doing and, and, and all that's taking place is not in support of the earth like it, what they were called to do, rule over the earth. Now they're just trying to take care of themselves. They're selfish. They're internalized. They're only focused on what can you see of me? What can you not see? What am I trying to hide? They have completely lost their mission now. Their efforts are going in the opposite direction now because they lost their identity. All they're working and all they're striving. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Look at this. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So now they just lost their identity. Guilt, shame, and condemnation show up. And as a result of that, fear sets in. Fear of the one who was their life source. Fear of the one that gave them everything they had. Fear of the one that placed the identity on them that they had. Fear from the one that gave them the assignment they're supposed to be operating. Now they're in fear. We have just completely come out of what God has called us to be. We've talked about fear. We see a world in fear right now. Fear accomplishes nothing. Fear doesn't ever make you better. Fear doesn't make you stronger. Fear doesn't grow you. Fear doesn't develop you. Fear doesn't bring things out of you that, were, that you didn't even know were there. Fear, it, it restricts, it limits, it binds, it oppresses. It keeps you in bondage. Nobody has ever gained anything out of fear. Nobody can ever say, I'm a better person because I operate in fear. I'm a stronger person today because of all the things I'm fearful of. It's impossible. All because they went after something they already had. I heard you walking in the garden just by hearing God. They didn't even see him. Just by hearing him, their response was to hide and get in fear. Go to Matthew chapter four. I don't think I put that in there, guys, but if we can go to Matthew chapter four. I feel that's where we need to go next. We're talking about our identity. We're talking about how the enemy will rob you of your identity, rob you of who you are. You've got to know who you are before you know what to do. We are the physical representation of what God is trying to do in the earth. You are the physical representation of God's mission, God's work, God's effort. That is why you are here. That is why you exist, to reveal 
God to this world. If we don't know who we are, we won't reveal, we'll hide. We'll constrict what God is trying to expose. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. I think it's interesting that the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted, led him to the wilderness to be tempted. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit led him into the wilderness. Because there's something to overcome. There's something to defeat. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now notice this. Notice the construct here. If you are, if you are, if you are. The enemy is immediately trying to do what? Challenge his identity. Challenge his identity. If you are the son of God. If you are a child of God. See, you got saved. You got born again. You came into the kingdom. You confessed Jesus as your Lord. But I know, without even having to ask for you to raise your hands, I know that the enemy at some point since your salvation has challenged who you are. He's challenged you by what you've done. He's challenged you by bringing up your past. He's challenged you by what you're not doing, what you're not good at, what you haven't become, what you haven't yet revealed. That's what he does. Because he knows if you ever figure out who you are in Christ, you'll be his greatest threat in this earth. You are unstoppable when you know your identity. I said you are unstoppable when you know your identity. There's nothing he can do to stop it. There's nothing he can do to bring that down. He can't get stronger. He can't get mightier. He can't all of a sudden overcome a child of God that knows who they are in Christ. The only way he can defeat you is keep you ignorant of your identity. Challenge your identity. Question your identity. And then he'll try to get you to do things to prove your identity. So watch the construct. If you are the son of God, challenging, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, identity, stones become loaves of bread, authority. But he's reversing it. He's saying, if you can do this, then you must be this. You see the difference? That's not how God operates. God doesn't say, if you do, then you will be. He says, because you are, then you do. So the enemy wants to switch it up. He wants you to perform your identity rather than be your identity. And Jesus sees right through this challenge. Jesus sees right through this question. And did he have the power to do it? Absolutely. There was nothing 
in this realm that Jesus did not execute authority over. Nothing. He walked on water. He commanded fig trees to die. He raised the dead, healed the sick, opened blind eyes, caused lame people to walk, cast out demons, called storms to become peace. This would have been nothing for him. But he wasn't going to allow an assignment to determine his identity. He wasn't going to allow his authority. See, this is, this is not an open invitation. It, it, Satan's not coming to Jesus, you know, if you really are, I mean, I, I, I want to know if you're the son of God because I want to accept. He, he's challenging and questioning because he knows this man right here is perfect, spotless, sinless. And if he figures out who he is, I'm done. <laughs> he knows. He knows I can't do a thing. That's why demons came to Jesus, crying out, we know who you are. We know who you are. They knew, they knew. The devil knows more about who you are than we do, than you do. Yes, he does. We're learning what he already knows. We're discovering what he's already clued in on. And he is, he is so scared that you'll ever figure it out. And so he's challenging it. He's questioning it, hiding it. Or he'll get you to perform it, to prove it. Oh, you're a child of God, then this is what children of God do and this and now you're becoming identified by what you do rather than by who you are oh if you were a child of God you wouldn't have done that last night if you were a child of God if you were really saved you wouldn't have thought those things if you were really saved you wouldn't have had that challenge if you were really saved you wouldn't have given yourself to that if you were really that's what he does he comes in with performance he comes in with all this evidence to try to prove who you are no, he says, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say. What does he respond with? The word of God. What if Adam and Eve would have responded with the word of God? The accurate version of the word of God. Not the version that included the do not touch it. Not the version of that they manipulated and twisted and, oh, well, I thought that's what you said. You're not going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, oh, I thought. No, we need to know the word. We need to know what it says accurately, wholeheartedly, and not because of what somebody else believes or not because of what somebody else says. You can't stand before Jesus with, thus saith Pastor Mark. It won't stand up, I, pr I promise you. It's not going to stand. You've got to know it. You've got to know it for yourself. You've got to believe it down in your heart. It's got to get past mental assent. It's got to get past just thinking it. It's got to get past just having a natural knowledge of it. It's got to get down into you. You cannot be convinced otherwise. It has to happen. It has to come to pass. This is the word of God, and I know it in my heart, what God's word says. Jesus responds with the word. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, 
He will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So now he's getting, trying to get Jesus to use the word to prove who he is. Not only that, but to prove who God is. We're getting it all backwards. Chapter four. Chapter four. He's trying to get him to use the word to prove who he is and to prove who God is. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. You're seeing this. Jesus, I mean, the enemy knows the word. He knows who you are better than you do. He also knows the word better than you do. Remember, he's the most cunning. He's the shrewdest of all. He's the trickiest one, right? So now he's using the word. Jesus responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Watch this, I will give it all to you. I, I will give it all to you. Last time I checked, the earth is the Lord's and the so now he's trying to talk him out of what already belongs to him. Are y'all seeing this? The enemy does this every day in our lives. He talks us out of what is already ours. He talks us out of who we already are. He talks us out of all that we have, all that we are after we've come into the kingdom because we're ignorant of it, because we don't know, we haven't sat down and processed and gotten the word in ourselves to know who we are, and he's tricking us out of what, we, what already belongs to us. It's not his to give. It's not his to give. He said, if you kneel down and worship me. Oh, yeah. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus will be the only one not kneeling when the day comes. He just responds with, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. What does that mean? He's the second man that walked this earth sinless and spotless, without blame, without shame, without guilt, without sin. He's the second Adam. He came back to restore what the first Adam lost. Adam lost his identity. Adam lost his authority. He was tricked out of it. He was tricked out of what was already his. 
There was nothing he needed to do to perform to be more like God, to be a child of God, to be in the kingdom of God. But it was tricked from him, stolen from him. Actually, Adam handed it over. He said, here you go. This is yours. You can have it. And Satan became the God of this world, the ruler of this world. But Jesus comes back to undo what the first Adam did, to restore and to fix what the first Adam broke. And now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are restored back into that position of identity and that position of authority. But your authority will never be executed beyond your knowledge and your level of identity. It cannot be. Look at Colossians chapter 1. <coughs> Colossians chapter 1. See, if we, if we fail to adapt to God's image, we will adopt the world's image. If we fail to adapt, become in the, in the image of God, to know who we are in Christ, then you will adopt whatever the world. And there's so many things that the world tries to define your identity by. By your money, by your status, by your work, what you make, the house you live in, the cars you drive, the clothes you wear, the kids you have, the person you're married to. Think of all the stuff that the world tries to build identity around. They're chasing it. They'll never, it is a hunger that is never satisfied. Look at Colossians chapter one. And um, let's start with verse three. Let's start with verse three. We always pray for you. This is Paul writing to the, the Colossians, the church at Colossae. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he's, he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember, we've said this before, that what God is trying to show you is not naturally obtained. It's revealed by the Father. You will never discover your identity outside of getting close to your Father. 
You'll never learn more about yourself at the expense of of knowing more about God and knowing God. I see people all the time trying to take on an identity that even God has for them, but they don't want to develop a relationship with their heavenly father. They abandon basic principles of relationship, basic closeness with their father. I tell people all the time, you're going through something, you're going through a struggle, you're going through an issue, get close to your father. You need to get closer to your heavenly father than you've ever been in your life. Strip everything else away. There is nothing on this planet more important that should come between you and your relationship with your father. It won't happen. It's not gonna happen. It's spiritual wisdom, he says. Give you complete knowledge of his will. Verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of fruit, every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will, grow as, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth and he made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones kingdoms rulers and authorities in the unseen world everything was created through him and for him he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together what's he saying your identity is found your natural visible identity is found in an invisible God. We're never, we will never discover who we are, what we were designed to be, what we were designed to do, what we were designed to have apart from our knowledge of God, our relationship with our Father. Where did Adam and Eve go wrong? When they detached themselves from the will of God and the plan of God and went chasing after something that was already theirs. Chasing an identity that God had already given them. No, we've got to have a firm foundation. I said we have to have a firm foundation in our identity, in who we are. Man, if you're in the kingdom of God, if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, there should be no other priority in your life than discover who you are and what you have. No other priority. No other priority than what is already made available to you. Your identity is your key to every struggle, every issue. I, you can name whatever struggle or issue or challenge you're facing right now, and I can take you to an identity. I can take you to a root issue. I can take you to something you have not yet discovered. Jesus doesn't even have to come back down from heaven and do anything else to give us any more freedom and any more deliverance. You understand it's a finished work. It's a complete work. To Jesus, it's done. To God, it's done. He's sitting on the throne. 
sitting on the throne. People sit down when they're done working. People sit down when you've completed everything you need to complete. We need to know who we are. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.